Amen. Thank you, Andy. Well, I've just come back from a glorious week in sunny Dorset. I won't attempt to do the accent. I lived in Devon for my teenage years, but I don't think I could quite get the nuance of a Dorset accent. Um, I had a great time. I hope you've all been enjoying yourselves. hope you're okay. Um, you excited? Exhausted? A bit of both. Some of you are excited and exhausted at the same time. That's interesting, isn't it? Um, well, a lot's happened in the last couple of weeks. I wonder if we'd have the slide up, please, over if that's okay. This is my theme for today, discovering God's delight. Um, preparing this yesterday, it's a fresh word that God's just put, dropped into my, in my heart while I've been away a little bit. And uh, just amazed at the amount of stuff that's happened, even in the sort of sporting world. I don't know if you're a sports fan, but we had kind of just under two weeks off, or just about two weeks off, and Euro 2016 was just finishing with all its disappointment and hurt and shame and sadness. Um, but then as, you've, as we've been away, all sorts of things have been going on. There's been all sorts of stuff happening in the motor racing with Lewis Hamilton. And uh, Murray won the tennis again, didn't he? What a, an amazing turn up for the books at Wimbledon. We had, uh, following it a little bit, and there was sort of champion after champion after champion. Wheelchair tennis and wheelchair doubles and all sorts of things going on. Mixed doubles. We had champions all over the place. Um, watching TV last night, and Mo Farah was running. I don't know what was at the finish line, maybe a nice kebab or something like that, but he was, he was going for it. 5,000 meters, loads ahead of everybody else. He lapped people as he's running around. Just amazing. How demoralizing it would have been to be one of those runners where you've trained for months, maybe years, and you're doing your best, and this bloke just comes past you. you think, oh, forget it. I'll just stop now and go for a coffee. Uh, the news is that Chris Froome is about to win his third third Tour de France title, British rider. That's amazing, incredible uh, feat of athleticism there. And uh, not least, Theresa May has become Prime Minister. All sorts has happened while we've been off. It's incredible. We've got Boris Johnson as our Foreign Secretary. <laughs> I never would have guessed it. And I won't even mention Mr. Trump and his nomination for the uh, Republican Party. How do you feel about all that? Interested, excited, delighted, not bothered? Well, one man was very happy yesterday at some news that was announced. I don't know if you saw this picture. This is a chap called Big Sam. He's a big man. He was a football defender, now a manager. And he's been chosen to be the new England manager, and uh, England football manager. And this was his smile. It was a kind of little teaser trailer released announcing it and the focus was on how happy he was and he was talking about how excited and delighted he was having sort of waited many years he said for this opportunity and if many people thought it was a likelihood but anyway Sam has been chosen remember his smiling face now because any of you who followed football for a while will know that England managers tend to smile at the beginning and it tends not to last. But he's delighted. He's a happy man. And uh, there we go. I, want, I just wonder if you could, if we were to answer a question about what God delights in and what God is excited by, what God is really ecstatic about, what we'd say. I wonder what we'd come up with. Maybe we'd say that God's delighted by people playing by the rules, by keeping discipline and order, by everything being in the right place. Maybe we'd say that God's excited by People behaving themselves, obeying his law, 
all those, all those laws in the Old Testament and, and the instruction in the New Testament, maybe that's what we think God's excited by. Maybe we think that God's excited and, or delighted in a few very special people. I've got a few pictures up here. You may or may not know these people. It doesn't particularly matter. But all these people I'm going to show you after this guy are Christians. Uh, and maybe you think these are the kind of people that God is delighted in. When we think about God being pleased and delighted in people, maybe we think of people like this. A chap called Bear Grylls, lots of kind of rugged adventurer. He's a good advert for the Christian faith, if you like, uh, particularly about some of the young guys. So this kind of do-it-all hero. Featured on the Alpha Course interviews and all sorts of things like that. He's a follower of Jesus. Maybe you think he's a a kind of person that God would be be delighted in because he's quite marketable. Maybe you think God's delighted in someone like that. A lady who took the name of Teresa, known to many as Mother Teresa, who served for for many years of her life um, the poor of Calcutta, devoting herself to those who had nothing to give of the little she had, dispenser of love and famous quotes. And uh, people would go and see her and learn of her wisdom and to try and capture something. Maybe you think God's delighted in her. Or maybe you think God's particularly delighted in academics. This is a chap called C.S. Lewis. Um, wrote many a good Christian book. Um, wrote some great children's fiction too. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, those sort of books and that series. But, but he was a, kind of a an atheist or a non-believing professor who became a Christian, described, described him, his conversion and, and described himself on that day as the most miserable man in all of England on the day he became a Christian uh, because he kind of reluctantly, begrudgingly acknowledged that after all his thinking this through, he had to concede that God was God and he needed to bow the knee and follow him. Maybe you think God's impressed with intellect. Maybe you think God's impressed with incredible courage. This is a lady you might not, might not recognize, but some of you might know the name. This is a lady called Jackie Pullinger. Uh, and the story goes that at 22, young Jackie had uh, applied to all sorts of missionary organizations. She wanted to serve God as a missionary overseas, and they'd all, all rejected her. Just said, no, no, you're not right for us, or too young, you need to do some more training. And she spoke to her uh, church leader at the time, who was a guy in Shoreditch, uh, and he, his advice was that she should buy a ticket for a boat that was going a long way around the world, get off when God told her to. So she did. She got on a boat, and she got off at Hong Kong. And she took a job in, uh, as a primary school teacher. She had $10 to her name when she got off the boat. That was it. That's all she had. And uh, she took a job as a primary school teacher, teaching in a place called uh, the Walled City. And it's terrible drug dens. This is one of the largest sort of opium-using areas in the whole of Hong Kong. Dangerous place. It was a no-go zone for the police. They wouldn't enter just because it was so dangerous. And she took a job there. And uh, hundreds and hundreds of drug addicts became free uh, from their addictions because of the love of Christ and her life shown and given to them. Maybe you think God's delighting in those people. I think God delights in all of these people, by the way, but not only in them. This is a guy that some of you might recognize. Fabulous moustache, isn't it? This is a chap called Smith Wigglesworth. He was a plumber. Could hardly read or write. In fact, he couldn't really read or write until God got hold of his life and he began to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and became a little bit more confident and uh, more bold and was enabled to preach. But this was a guy who 
used, just God was used powerfully to do amazing signs and wonders. And, and we can be really impressed in miracle stories, and, and rightly so, and think, wow, that's amazing. And, and unfortunately, we can end up then venerating people like this guy who did some amazing things for God. And we can think, wow, God delights in those kind of people, and, and I've never really raised anyone from the dead. Got out of bed myself this morning, and that felt good enough. But, you know, getting, getting someone out of bed, getting someone from the dead, that's a bit of a challenge. And, and I've never done that, so I don't compare. And God delights in those people. I think that might be the last one. Maybe you think God delights in those who've gone through adversity and have hung on. This is a chap called Yun. You might know of him as Brother Yun. Uh, there's a book called The Heavenly Man written about him and his story in China growing up as a Christian with very little, and uh, he devoted his life and has devoted his life to serving Christ and following him, despite persecutions and beatings and imprisonments and torture and all sorts of things. And uh, the story of the Chinese church amidst persecution is that millions of people have come to know Jesus, and he's one of millions who are following Christ today. Courageously, boldly, in the face of challenge and adversity, does God delight in them? Yes, he does. But I've got some good news. That God doesn't just delight in a few special named people. God delights in us too. He delights in you. And I want to show you from the scripture today a message I believe God wants to speak to, to more than one person to remind you of God's absolute devotion and delight in you. Because some of us look at that list of greats. I'm excluding Sam Allardyce. So I'm not going to make any opinion, uh, give any opinion on him at all because he's not part of this set, but the rest of them, and you think, wow, they're Christian superheroes. So many of them. We, some of you have read their books. You've heard their stories. If you've never heard of them, you may do if you go to church long enough. They're the kind of people that get quoted a lot and people refer to, and they, today they'd be, they'd be, if you could go and see all of them, you, there'd be crowds flocking to see them. And we might not be in the same league and feel that we're in the same league, but I believe God's got some words to speak to us today. This is a very famous scripture. It's up on the screen. It says this, He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. This is one of the most famous passages about God delighting. It talks about God singing over his people. And uh, that's, that's pretty exciting. That's, that's pretty delighting when, when you're, you're singing over something. Most of us don't do this in public terribly well, but maybe just in an unguarded moment. Maybe when, fellas, maybe the team has scored the winning points and you're on your own and there's no one looking, you might just do a little dance around the lounge. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe we might just raise a glass and go, great, cup of tea. Whatever it is. But, but to, to sing over somebody takes great exuberance and delight. And this is the image that's painted for us in this scripture. And, and I've preached on this and others will have preached on this before and it's well known. But I want to just point out to you that all of this is in the future tense. He will take delight in you. He will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And this is a passage actually that's talking about the nation of Israel. Talking about God's people, his chosen people, and it's painting a picture of not necessarily the political nation now, but of God's ancient people spoken of through the Old Testament and through those Jewish believers who have been kept. It talks about a remnant, 
a group of people that have wholeheartedly followed God, and this is carried through into the New Testament where we read about these people who will um, come to know God fully, they will accept Jesus and all the rest of it, and we'll kind of read the story as the book of Romans ties up with the Old Testament and matches the two together. But this passage is in Zephaniah talking about this group of people who God is looking forward to rejoicing over. Now, now that's even more powerful, I think, than rejoicing currently. Because that means that God is pregnant with anticipation about the excitement he's going to have over his people. He's looking forward to the day of rejoicing. He's not just excited now and rejoicing now, but he's, he's, he's able to declare through a prophet to his people, this is what God is waiting for, an opportunity to rejoice over you with singing. He's bubbling away with excitement. I don't know what you're excited by right now. We've just come back from a holiday. We try and take it as fairly early in the summer often. Many of you haven't had one, and you might be a bit frustrated that I'm talking about mine, but you might be just ready for yours. And it might not be excitement, it might be exhaustion. I've just got to get through another week or two or three to have a couple of days off or a bit of time off. Maybe that's what you're excited about. Maybe there's something else you can attach some excitement to, and you're thinking, well, I'm I'm really looking forward to this day. There's something that I'm looking forward to. And it might be a few months off or a few years off, or but I'm there's just already when I think about that special occasion, that special event, there's excitement growing in me. Well, just imagine God's anticipation of his own excitement. Hundreds and hundreds of years before, as he's saying, This this is what I'm longing to do. I'm longing to rejoice over you with singing. This isn't just for the people of Israel. We get to play a part in this too. In John's Gospel we read that he gave the right for us to become the children of God. In the book of Romans we read that we're like a branch of an olive tree and God's people are the olive tree and and we're like a branch that's been grafted in and we're joined in to God's people. So we're part of this marvelous group of people who are God's. We belong. So this now applies to us too. As we're looking forward, God is looking forward to rejoicing over us. I love that. Secondly, God is rejoicing and delighting over us now. Too many times I think that when we come to approach God, we come to church, we have a private time with God, we anticipate God's disappointment with us. It's as if we approach God aware that he is disappointed with us, or if he isn't, he should be. Uh, And there's there's a tinge of sadness as we come to God, quite often. But I want to tell you that God's approach to us is very different. God's attitude towards you as you step into God's, an awareness of God's presence is so different from your own, my own, sense of disappointment. In... Luke's Gospel, we read this. It says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's an interesting passage. And it comes at a time when Jesus is meeting with tax collectors and sinners, according to the Bible, since they were all gathering round to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, that's the Jewish religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners 
and eats with them. And we come to God often aware of our own, uh, of our own sin. That's, that's right that we do so. It's the Holy Spirit convicting us. It's God saying, there's stuff not right in your life. Come and put it right. But we can come with these labels that we were hearing about earlier, these tags, these names applied to our lives. And we can come burdened down and go, why would God want anything to do with me? I'm one of those sinners. And it's all right for the Pharisee, it's all right for the tax collectors and the others, but he doesn't know what they don't know what I've done. And my life's worse and I'm in a mess and, and I've tried and I've fallen and I've tried again and I've fallen again. And we come with these labels attached to our lives. I want to just show you something. In these scriptures, if you have a look at Luke 15, and if, in fact, if you read through the whole of the Gospels, Jesus only, only ever uses the term sinners. Only, as far as I can see, uses the term sinners when others are using it about people he's with. That when people have thrown a label and stuck it on other people and said, why are you with these sinners? Jesus uses that term and says, okay, I'll show you these sinners. He doesn't use it himself to apply it to other people himself, but he takes the label that other people have used and he says, look at these people in a different light. So, when, with that in mind, it's the tax collectors and the Pharisees who said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And a few verses later we read this. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus is taking this term that's been thrown around and bandied about, these sinners, these awful people, and he takes it and goes, okay, I'll show you what a sinner really is like. I'll show you what happens in God's presence when a sinner comes to God. This is what happens. And he unpacks that label and he kind of throws it back at the Pharisees almost. He says, look, when one of these people, just one, turns and opens their life to God and says, God, I need you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want you. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. And it's an obvious point, and you may have heard this before, but the only person I can think of who is in the presence of the angels of God is God himself. So when there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God, it means that God is rejoicing. Does that make sense? God, angels, uh, in the presence of the angels, there's rejoicing. Well, I think it means that God is rejoicing. God's celebrating. God's delighting every single time one sinner repents and turns around. For many of us here, that's our story. That God rejoices over us. He rejoiced. There was a day when, or a season when, as you began to understand in a new way God's love for you and his opportunity to follow him, you, you began to say yes to, to following Jesus and God was rejoicing over you. And the tragedy is that some of us forget that. Because stuff happens in our lives and we, we kind of think, well, yeah, I think God was rejoicing in me then, but I think he's a bit disappointed now. I want to encourage you that God is still rejoicing over you. He's still delighting over each one of us. How do I know this? Well, if you've got any trust or faith in God at all, he rejoices over you. Let me show you. The Bible says this in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. So, how is it possible to please God? With faith. It's very simple, isn't it? It's possible to please God, to delight God with faith. 
you have faith, you can please God. How about this? From Psalms 147. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, sometimes we read these verses in the Bible, and we read about fear, the fear of the Lord, and we read about fearing God, and we can think, well, that sounds a bit scary. I don't want to fear anybody. How can I have a love relationship with someone that I'm fearing? But it's a particular Bible word that's used very specifically. And helpfully, this passage includes the answer, the key for interpreting what it means. So the first part of the verse says, the Lord delights in those who fear him. The second part of the verse tells us what it means to fear God. It says that the people who fear God are those who put their hope in his unfailing love. To fear God properly is to have an awareness that he's bigger than you, that he's more awesome, that he's more powerful, that he's more amazing, that he goes on and on and on, that he's, he, he never ends, that he's, he's bigger, that he's God, than you're not. And that's an awareness of this kind of awesomeness of God that doesn't have with it the quaking sense of, debilitating sense of fear that our normal fear has, but it encourages us to put our hope in his unfailing love. The fear of God is connected with putting our hope in God and saying, God, you're bigger, you're more awesome, that you're greater, I'm going to trust in you. And what happens then? Is that God delights in us. And it might be that we come shaking, quivering, surrounded by circumstances and situations, and we come to God and we say, God, I've only got a tiny bit of faith. I'm not even sure if you're there today. I know you were there yesterday, but I'm a, I'm a little bit unsure, but actually I'm talking to you, and I guess that means that you probably are there. And, and we kind of go through this kind of stuff, and, and you can end up sort of coming very scared and being worried and dis- disappointed in your own fear as you approach God. But actually the fact that you're approaching God is enough. The fact that you've come into God's presence, that you're aware of him, God is delighting over us right there in that moment. He takes delight in If you just think for a moment about the people that Jesus exalts. When he tells stories. When he points people out in a crowd. Just think about the people Jesus highlights. He he points to a woman. We haven't done the offering yet. Roger, can I borrow your bucket? Thank you. We have buckets that we pass around. And we give give an offering to God. I think they're plant pots from Ikea. And we, we put money in, and, and we, there's a bit of foam at the bottom so that your coins don't jangle and all that sort of thing, and the notes don't rustle too much. So you don't get, it's not too self-conscious, because we're in a British context, so we need to not be too self-conscious, don't we? But in Jesus' day, there was a bit of a fanfare going on when some of the rich put their money in to the temple offering and and there'd be a bit of a celebration Uh, and there'd be a bit of a show so maybe the wallet would come out and well see how much I'm giving I'll just stand here for a minute while I put more and more money in and well that's very impressive isn't it I've got a stack of receipts you could have if you like Um, put more and more money in and isn't that impressive and then a woman comes along and puts a few coins in and doesn't look very impressive at all, but Jesus points her out and he says, see the faith that that woman has. She, she gave everything she had. The rich gave out of their abundance, but she gave everything. That woman gave all that she had. And why is he highlighting in that? Why is he delighting in it? Why is he pointing it out? Because it's a show of faith. 
It's a sign of dependence. It's not about the money. It's, it's a display of trust in God. And every time there's trust in God, God delights in that. Brian was talking excellently last week about faith. I listened yesterday to your message, Brian. Thank you for sharing and encouraging us. Even in our absence, we're still connected in, which is great. Um, but encouraging us to have faith in God and trust in God. And I just want to tell you, as you do, God delights in that. So many more stories I could share, but let's just move on. God takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. You know, I reckon that we're not very good at measuring God's delight. Because I think we, I, often look at other people, other people's successes, all that other people have, and I say, well, God must be delighting in them more than he's delighting in me. Because they seem to have so much. And we might, in our weak moments, look at ourselves and go, but what have I got to compare? Well, they must be God's favorites. Look how life goes for them. That Smith Wigglesworth bloke, it must be something about the mustache or something. But he prays for people and they rise from the dead. And wow, it's just... And we always forget that we're picking the highlights, not the whole story. We always forget, actually, that a lot of those things don't last. When we're looking at other people's finance or relationships or friendships or whatever it might be, when it seems that other people have so many gifts and God might be more delighted in them than he is in you, you, we forget that actually those things don't always last. Uh, And there are times when we have a lot and times when we have a little and it doesn't mean that God's less delighted in us. It just means we've got less stuff than we had. When other people are succeeding and we might feel that we're not succeeding, that we've been defeated somehow, it doesn't mean that somehow God is less delighted in us. It just means that things have gone a bit awry. Things aren't going as well as they were, but God is still delighting every moment there's an ounce of faith. A mustard seed, Jesus talks about. That's enough. Every time that you can cry out and say, God, I want to trust you, God takes delight in us. This version I've put up on the screen, there's another translation which reads slightly differently. Um, It says here, we crowns the humble with victory. There's another version which actually better translates the word, which talks about salvation. It says, he exalts the oppressed by delivering them. The way that God most often shows delight is rescuing us, saving us, transforming us, making us his. That's how he expresses delight most often. He makes us part of his family. He joins us to him and says, you're not far off anymore. I delight in you. Come to me. Thirdly, I put God's quiet delight because I didn't want to make up a word. But it's actually us being quietened in God's presence that I want to talk about briefly. This is from a different version of that same verse I used at the beginning. It says, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. When we do get to pray, many of us come and talk to God with a bit of a shopping list. We feel like we need to have an agenda, so we come to God with an agenda and we rattle some stuff off. We say, God, could you please address this, 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 this. 
and I'm sorry about this, this and this and this and this, and please deal with this and this, and, and that's about it. And sometimes we can come to God with some worries and some concerns. And do you know, one of the ways I'm discovering that God loves to show delight is in just going, shh. And I come into his presence and I go, God, God, this is, I'd love to. And just the times I actually break through into sensing God's delight is when I really sense him going, shh, Stuart, it's okay. Just stop. But God, what about, shh. Oh God, I'm desperate for you too, shh. And some of you, some of us, need to hear this today. One, God delights in you. He's not disappointed. He delights in you. In your weakest moments, when all you've got left is a cry of help to God, he delights in us turning to him. Secondly, there are times when God just wants to go, shh, just, just be with me. And I tell you, if you can enjoy quietness in God's presence. It's releasing. It's, it, it'll bring breakthrough for many people here. As you stop and, and all those worries and things that you've been carrying around, you, you're focusing on God and his presence and his, his being with you. He quietens us in his love. Finally, we can become confident in God's delight. This is a psalm of David, and he writes this. He brought, in a time of trouble, he writes, he brought me out into a wide open place. He delivered me because he was pleased with me. He delivered me because he was pleased with me. Wouldn't that be great if we could become so confident in God's delight that we could declare to others that God is pleased with us, that he delights in us. I think that would revolutionize our thinking. I think it would change our approach to temptation and sin. I think it would change our approach to the struggles of life. I think it would change our approach to taking steps of further faith. I think if we knew that God was delighted in us and was pleased with us, it would inspire us to new things. So my encouragement as I close I don't know how busy your next few weeks are. But I would encourage you to take time to be with God. If you're not sure what that looks like, come and talk to me afterwards or to some Andy or one of the other leaders that you've seen involved today. But it can be as simple as this. Going somewhere quiet or going somewhere on your own and saying, God, I need you. It's a good place to start. God, I worship you. God, I want to be with you. And if you've never done that before and you're not a Christian yet, come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about how, what that looks like and how you can say yes to God for the very first time. How for the very first time you can put your faith in God and say, God, I want to trust you. And I'm not quite sure what that means, but I want to trust you and I want to follow Jesus and start a new life in you. And we'd love to talk to you about that. But equally, if you already know how to follow God, Take some time out. Let God quiet you. Delight in him and let him delight in us. Let the appeals and the protestations and the questions and all the other things that spin around just just fall for a moment as you hear God say, shh. 
delight in you. Amen.